Hi, Dad. There was a light freeze last night, so this morning I put on my robe and slippers and stepped outside to watch the sun come up. The winds were coming from the north, making the porch chimes dance and sing an octave higher. Even ambient noises are different when the temperature drops. It's sort of like nature's key change. As sun up caught in the edges of the sky, the layer of frost on the top of the parked cars sparkled like fairy lights. Today is December the 1st, and Rudolph comes on network TV this evening. And suddenly, I'm transported from my front door here in Baton Rouge to a parsonage in North Louisiana, circa 1986, where I see us in the living room, and we are putting up the tree. On a school night, no less. Because Rudolph is on tonight, and there is a surprise for me this weekend. So, we are putting up the tree. But more like putting the tree together, since it's an artificial one. It is my special job to sort the limbs into piles based on branch size and the color coding. The likely lead-based paint on the wire connectors has been peeling since at least the Carter administration. And you claim you need my good eyesight to do the job for you. You and Mama put the branches on, and I help with the bottom ones and the little filler bits in between. Mama puts on the lights as well, because she doesn't like any empty spots. But we get to do the fun parts, the ornaments and the icicles. Brand new baby brother has so many first Christmas ornaments this year, and I only have the one. But a lady from the church has made me a special big sister stocking, and that's pretty neat. Each ornament comes with a story. And Mama chimes in when you forget them, but that's not too often. These ones are from your first Christmas together, from the K&B Pharmacy in the Alexandria Mall. That one came from Harrods Department Store in London, when Aunt Vicky was there with her students. Those were crocheted by Momo Helen, and the tree skirt was as well. The story is almost the same each year, progressing parallel to the adventures of Rudolph and Hermie and Yukon Cornelius, but both are just as dear. You take your time with the icicles last. Those little mylar threads, a few at a time, placed just here and there, you let me help a little. And when you proclaim it finished, we turn off the living room lamps. Those icicles catch our multicolored lights on the tree, and colors bounce off the walls and ceiling and spill into the hallway. My eyes are getting blurry, and I'm feeling like a stupid crybaby, but then I see you're smiling the same way, too. This tree is beautiful. It's also past my first grade self's bedtime, so Mama promises hot chocolate with breakfast to maybe motivate me to be a little less grumpy at 6.30 in the morning. So you give me a kiss goodnight, and I go to bed after one last look over my shoulder at her handiwork. And I see you're still standing there looking at the tree. It is so strange how much I remember specifically about that Christmas in 1986. Maybe because it was the year that baby brother arrived. Maybe it's because it was when we got our first VCR. Or maybe because that weekend surprise was going to a nighttime in theaters viewing of Star Trek IV, The One with the Whales. But mostly, I remember feeling happy. There were so many things to do between putting up the tree and December 25th. So many different Christmases. Church Christmas with singing and candles. 
our special immediate family Christmas with you reading about the decree in Caesar Augustus and the shepherds. Christmas with your parents and siblings and Sykes, when I had so many first cousins there to play with. Christmas with Mama's parents, where I had zero first cousins, but more presents. And gosh, it was so cold that year. My holiday reverie is suddenly broken by the sound of a neighbor's diesel truck rumbling to life. And I'm back in 2020, and it is really cold here, too. And there is coffee to be poured for myself and also Jim before we go to work. I'm back in 2020, where I have to grab a mask before I leave the house where there aren't any big fun movies to go and see in theaters this Christmas, where your absence these past 12 Christmases, to quote C.S. Lewis, have been like the sky spread over everything. Your absence and all of my grandparents, my cousin Andrew and Aunt Vicky, you were all the proprietors of our best traditions. Those traditions require a bigger cast of players, and there aren't enough of us to hold it together in the shape of what it used to be. And so these old, lovely traditions are becoming obligations. I do not ever want your memory to be an obligation. I'm putting up the tree tonight, our tree anyway, and it's still an artificial one, and it still has Momo Helen's crocheted tree skirt. But this year's tree is the smallest I've ever had. And that might seem sad too, but it has just enough branches for the most important ornaments. And they also tell a story of Noel and Jim, our honeymoon and vacations, gifts from friends and family, our silly running jokes. I don't think they make mylar icicles anymore, or I'd have those too. Just enough branches, just enough light, just enough. And I think I have an idea. Instead of joining the misfit reindeer and his elf dentist friend, while I decorate this, I'm going to watch Star Trek IV. The opening credit score is full of brass and bells and strings. I think I'm going to make it my favorite Christmas song. I miss you, Papa, but there be whales here. <laughs> Merry Christmas from your Noel. Civics, y'all. A political conversation for all of us. So welcome back, Megan and Noel. We've got Noel back. Hello. <laughs> and we we interviewed, I think it was you and me together, Noel. We talked to Megan a couple weeks ago for another episode and just it was one of our early episodes, right, Megan? Yeah, it was in, somewhere in the first, second, third uh, zone. Because I remember yeah. being like, sure, I'll do your podcast. And I went to look for the podcast and there was not yet a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> brought you in on the ground floor to quote Sam. That's right. That's right. I was like, I hope I agree to something good. <laughs> well, do you think you agree to something good? I absolutely do. That's totally. Uh... It is, it's great. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, no pressure. You're, you're back on the show, so you kind of have to say that. But we have a ton more content now, right? Like, Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. If I were a, a total noob now, I would be able to go and look and um, – and there are a bunch of, I mean, I'm already behind on the episodes on my, I just got a podcast notification. I'm already behind. So congratulations. <laughs> You've done it. You've caught up to all my favorite podcasts in making me behind on listening. <laughs> well, anyways, that's all tangent. Um, So uh, I'm actually going to step away. I, I'm super excited to be like an audience member for this, this conversation because Noelle has a, a bunch of questions and a bunch of things she'd love to talk to you about, Megan. So I'm, looking forward I'm to gonna it. duck out. I All love right. questions. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Megan, I would like to know some of your memories of Christmas's past. Hmm, that's a good uh that's a good question. I've had lots of different Christmases in my life. I've actually seen the Macy's parade. Um my in laws uh my mother in law passed away a couple years ago, but uh father in law's still there on the upper west side of New York City. Uh so we walked down a couple times. We actually only went to the parade before a child entered the life because it's extremely terrible to do things with small children. I don't know why anybody does it. Well, you're from um you're from the Northeast, right? Um Yeah, I'm from upstate New York. So you actually have like cold, like experiences with cold Christmases or maybe you had white Christmases, but Oh, yeah. And I I love a snowy Christmas. Um, Of course, now it seems like every year I I decide to go home. uh, There's no snow. And then the years that I don't go home, there's totally snow that I miss. So, um, yeah, I've got I'm the kiss of death for white Christmases. So, like, what are your like traditions that you have? Maybe let's say now, like, what are your family traditions like with, you know, even before your son or now that you have a son and like, what do y'all do? Yeah. Um, usually, uh, church on Christmas Eve. Um, I really like a midnight service on Christmas Eve, though the church Mm -hmm. I attend and am a member of is, does not do one. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I have it in me, I go somewhere else jump in with the episcopalians or something <laughs> to get my midnight mass in uh and uh and then yeah we buy too many christmas presents we eat all day um i totally overdo the commercial aspect of christmas i love it and i think it's really fun to give people presents so we do that's actually um uh my the perfect lead into my next question which is what are the things that you associate with the Christmas season. And I'm talking about like a a friend of mine and I were having a conversation the other day and I said, why are all of my memories and nostalgia shaped like capitalism? And they kind of are. So it could be like the, you know, Santa on the Norelco razor or, you know, what films, what, what things do you associate, you know, aside from gift giving media or foods, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I um I love Christmas movies. Like I love them, love them. Um I love everything from like uh you know, really hallmarky kind of Christmas movies to 
watching the Santa Claus for the 900th time. Um, I love them all. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually having a conversation with somebody about, um, about fiction and about literary fiction and about, um, and about genre fiction and about how there's, you know, dystopias, right? Like that's a thing. We're so into dystopias. We love the dystopic future. Um, and I was then, and it was like, all right, well, what about utopias? Like, do we have utopian future books much? Um, and they do exist. Um, it is a thing. They're, you know, fictionalized utopias. They do, you know, in the fantasy realm, they, there are utopias. Uh, but I was thinking about how, like, Christmas movies are really kind of the utopic view of things, right? Like, it's the, everything's perfect. I, so I always hated this stuff literally up until 2016. Um, that year, that post-election year, I was like, nope. We are doing nice things for ourselves. Yes. <laughs> like we are there is not gonna be no no sadness, no yes. no. So so yeah, I got really into like cheesy Christmas and that has so it's a rel- somewhat newer tradition for me to But no, I um, feel like ev- be obsessively holly jolly. Yeah, I feel like I feel like everybody is that way though. Like right now. Like even my mm-hmm. husband who, you know, I mean, he he was over at, at um, or like in the break room at work or something, and they were on, and he's like, "You get drawn into this. It really is bread and circuses, but they're lovely. Mm-hmm. They're but so yeah. Mm-hmm. So I totally, I totally get it. Totally. But um, so two of of my favorites that we watch every year, that I watch every year, of course, are many versions of A Christmas Carol. My mm-hmm. two favorite are the George C. Scott version with. David Warner and Roger Reese, and it's very 80s. And my other favorite, probably my top favorite is The Muppet Christmas Carol. I was hoping you were going to say The Muppet one, because that's the best one. Oh, it is. It's like a musical (laughs) version. It's so good. It's all song and like one more Oh, it's so good. And Michael Caine is such a testament to his acting prowess that he plays it so straight and so earnestly yeah. and so around Muppets around Muppets mm-hmm. there's this whole peace on earth given to those less fortunate thing at the end of the year but the rest of the year it's this whole you know individualism and bootstraps business mm-hmm. so like how how do you feel about that and what do you feel you know you're what you know because you are a Christian and you are progressive and mm-hmm. it's a very interesting thing because in especially in the south it's like you know it's like those things can't exist together but they do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and i would like to hear you speak as a progressive as a member of the democratic socialists america as a, a christian someone who uh is working on who's working on organizing for hurricanes who's working on I mean, I believe, <laughs> I believe very strongly that Jesus actually called us to organize. I think that's, um, I think that's sort of the point of it all. Like Jesus called us to be in community, and what that means is to pull together and to take care of, you know, the last will be first. That that's what we are instructed to do. And when Jesus talked, Jesus talked a lot about, you know, ways to pull together into in community and how to make it work. And Paul talked about that too. And I'm not like a big Pauline Christian like I'm not mm. I, I prefer the gospels to the letters um but they're both there and <laughs> we have to <laughs> we have to deal with Paul and and some of his problems but also you know 
when it came down to it, Paul's thing was pull together, make it work. You got to make it work in community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just to get back to your question, the disconnect, I think, um, that I, I find really there, there's this cognitive dissonance that I find really troublesome, uh, where that is, you know, one of my biggest, uh, criticisms of this theology is, okay, so you want the government to be a theocracy, but at the same time, you don't want the government to do the work of the church, which you see as feeding and housing and, and, and all that. Mm-hmm. So how's that going to work? <laughs> Like you're fine with the church, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, if you look at a lot of these churches, it it depends on the church, you know, the, the, Mm -hmm. um, the prosperity churches, the Joel Austin churches and such Mm -hmm. do tend to be very stingy. They, they, the money gets hoarded. Um, but a, a lot of churches and I will give, you know, the evangelicals credit that a lot of churches do a lot of feeding and things like diaper banks and uh uh disaster relief you see you see a lot of churches on the ground doing disaster mm-hmm. relief um they're it's not that they're not doing anything but the capacity of a church is rarely what the capacity of the government who is able to make money because mm-hmm. that is what the government's job is <laughs> yeah. is able to do so to me it doesn't make a ton of sense to um I mean, my church can't feed everybody. No. I mean, I don't know. When I hear people say this, I'm like, y'all's church got that kind of money? <laughs> our right. church doesn't have that kind of money? Um, oh, like, yes. we can barely, our air conditioner is broken and we can't get it fixed. <laughs> uh, so, I don't, I, y'all are going to feed the whole town? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's really troublesome to me. And that is a, a point of dissonance that I feel like I can't hammer through people's heads. Um, I, I think a lot of it is that there's a need to control who gets the relief. You know, I mean, that's when it comes down to it, that's what it ends up being. Right. Like they, they want to control who gets the relief, who gets what there's also, no, there's a, a definitely a, a sort of, I've heard it called, and I like the term property supremacist thing, where um, people believe that, you know, property is the greatest attainment we can have, which of course is not found in the gospel anywhere. This idea of like, you should personally own yourself bunches of land. Um, But, but these property supremacists, and this, this is really baked into our constitution that the, the job of the government, the only jobs is to protect property. Mm. So it's fine to spend as much as we want on the military because the military protects our land. Um, and it's fine to spend as much as we want on cops because they protect our, our homes and property. Mm-hmm. Everything else is wasteful. Um, and so that they, they've, this sort of, these right-wing Christians have dovetailed these two ideas together. Um, small government, big church, uh, ugh, I don't know. It, yeah. To me, it's like you keep running into these walls of cognitive dissonance that I yeah. I can't break through. It makes sense of. Um, it makes much more sense to me to have a, a government that's uh, doing 
the important work of of caring for people's material needs, which people have. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, FDR I think it's telling that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's telling that most of Jesus's miracles involved caring for people's material needs. So I come back to that a lot. Like Jesus fed people. He turned water into wine. <laughs> he uh, he turned uh, a basket full of bread and fish into enough food for however many people. He healed people. Um, and we could we can get into the you have to be a little careful with ableism around the healing miracles, but but that's that's what Jesus did. Um and whether you believe that literally or believe that metaphorically or don't believe that at all, that's my takeaway. Uh so I don't quite get where I think there there's a strain of Christians on the sort of center left who wanna you know, denounce all materialism, all material things. And it's like, okay, well, we still have to eat, guys. <laughs> People still have to have, you know, something to wear and they have to have a roof over their heads. We it's can not... have nice things. We can all have right. nice I... things. And I, I, I think that the, you know, one of the great stories in the Bible, that one of the more difficult stories in the Bible, in the Gospels, is Jesus having his head anointed by, um, well, in one, it's it's just a woman um, and another, it's it's Mary Magdalene um, anoints his head with oil, and Judas, I think, in ooh, I'm gonna get him wrong, but in one of the Gospels, Judas says, "What are you doing? Why are you wasting that? That is super expensive oil. It's nard, <laughs> which it always <laughs> makes me laugh because it's a funny word, nard. Yeah. So she <laughs> she anoints his head with nard, and." Uh, that's super expensive. We could have sold it and given the money to the poor. And Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. Um, which, you know, gets interpreted in all sorts of weird ways. And, and right-wing Christians throw that one out. Like you'll always have the poor with you. Jesus even says we can't do anything about it. And it's like, "Eh, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I just think Jesus was saying that it's actually okay to, to, um, have things be special and have things be beautiful and have things be nice. And, it's not an abdication of the responsibility. It's just a, a reality that there is, yeah. there is abundance and, um, and plenty to go around. Uh, I don't know. And this is, and he is, you know, Jesus is, is the reason for the season, you know, Jesus and, uh, is the reason he is, this is his, uh, celebrating his birth and, and this time of year. And so, and I think like, you can keep different ideas in your head at the same time, you know? Sure. And, and so we can have our, you know, we can, we can um, watch Scrooge and George Bailey and we can also, you know, listen to Handel's Messiah. And, and when the hallelujah chorus, we can stand up and I just, Oh, I cry. Oh, my dad was a, a minister. Um, he oh, was wow. a Methodist minister. Um, People don't really like they go, "Wait, you're a preacher's kid?" Like they don't know me because I never really had. Uh, my dad like took me to like loved nerdy movies. He like Star Trek and Back to the Future, and like introduced me to good music and like ABBA and Simon and Garfunkel and all kinds of good stuff. So it was never <laughs> like the oh, you can only listen to holy things in this house, and we can't have secular things in this house. So, you know, my dad was super important to me and. He passed away in 2008, very suddenly. And um, in 2010, so we used to go to Disney World all the time when I was a kid. My mom's 
a cousin worked there. And so we went, I worked there, I did the internship there. And we went in 2010, my mom and brother and I, this is before I met my husband. Um, we spent Christmas at Disney World. Christmas wow. Eve was at, because um, I'd been saving a ton of money and, and we had like, I still had some friends who worked there. So we got some, some pretty decent discounts on some small stuff. And we spent, it was only three days. We spent Christmas Eve in Magic Kingdom and Christmas Day and the day after in Epcot. And so that year we'd gotten really into Battlestar Galactica and Edward James Olmos was narrating, <laughs> narrating the candlelight processional. So we called it Battlestar Galactic Christmas. And <laughs> they, um, the candlelight processional is like a full church thing. It is, it mm -hmm. even says in the program, this is not a secular Christmas experience. It's like a can't, it's this crazy singing Christmas tree, uh, you know, like reading from the gospels. It can be all of the things you can, you mm -hmm. can, you can have Battlestar Galactic Christmas and then okay. also, uh, you know, enjoy an actor who played Admiral Adama, you know, taking us through <laughs> the, um, the, uh, the, the shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flocks. And, and I love that, that it can be all of those things that, you know, and mm -hmm. like you said, that it, the cognitive dissonance can be difficult with Jesus wanted us to love, you know, love our neighbor and, you know, love one another and look after each other. And um, that's, that's, that's legit what I like to feel this time. We should feel that all year, but it's especially nice at the mm -hmm. holidays when we can, especially at the end of this crazy year that has been so Ugh, the just worst. the worst, worst, worst. Speaking of peace on earth and giving to the less fortunate, Megan, you're actually working on something uh, for some of the evacuees from the hurricane that are that are mm -hmm. that are in Lafayette, so um, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that? And I think that'll be a good place to kind of wind this down. Sure. Um, so it's an informal thing, um, which is actually my favorite kind of thing to do. I like just doing uh, what I think of as sort of mutual aid work outside of outside of traditional charitable structures because. Because <laughs> I think char charity is bad, um, which <laughs> some people are going to hear and be like, "What?" what? Um, and I'll be happy to explain why I think charity is bad sometime. Um, but charity in this, you know, capital C charity, not charity in the literal yeah. sense of giving to people. But but I do believe in looking at things in uh, in terms of solidarity rather than charity. Um, but uh, which is a totally trite thing. I did not think that up to please. Um, anybody who's listening, do not think that I'm like trying to have invented that myself. I didn't. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, so a, a Twitter friend of mine, Alan, who is, uh, let's see, what's his Twitter handle? It's like at Alan K lower slash 81 or something. Um, he uh, is a, another big fan of just kind of doing stuff, uh, just kind of helping people out uh, how they can. Um and he, after Laura, reached out and managed to find a group of evacuees who was staying who were staying in a hotel in Baton Rouge or a group of hotels maybe, um, which is where he he's he's near Baton Rouge, and okay. he was uh he takes them food once a week or twice a week and tries to get them make sure they have diapers and make sure they have I think 
you know, anybody who's listening to this um, from elsewhere, but also from within Louisiana, I, I think it's really important to recognize just how abysmal the response to the hurricane has been on a official scale. It's mm-hmm. so bad. And there's the help is gone. You know, all the, you know, the Cajun Navy's long gone. There's some local churches doing food and stuff, but um, there are folks still absolutely displaced. There are folks who are now probably permanently displaced because mm. there's no help. It's not coming. Uh, so we're the only we're the only help we've got. We're, we're we've only got each other. I'm the snack mom. Like I love I love feeding the people. Um, so yeah. So that's all. I mean that's all it is. Um, <laughs> but I did put a call out on Twitter. I have I have quite a few Twitter followers. So occasionally if I have a project I'm working on I'll just put a call out. So I pulled together an Amazon wish list, uh, and yeah, if uh, if anybody wants to find that, I, I suspect you can pop it we in the can, show notes. Yes, we can definitely get this info to folks. Thank you so much, Megan, for talking about Christmas stuff and and all of those things. And I'm I'm excited to um to see what new Hallmark movie plots they come out with this year, and and, and what small towns we will visit. That's right. Even though it's against the rules and I'm supposed to be doing Advent, but whatever. My Advent practice is watching Christmas movies. So. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry happy, Christmas. Happy all the things. Yes. Take and care. so on. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Happy New Year. I mean, Happy Easter. It's all the same now. Epiphany. 12th night. <laughs> no pink cake till January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye, y'all. Bye, bye. <laughs>